Hey, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that we love bringing this content to you for free and we want to keep going. Your support helps make that happen. So please go hit that subscribe button today. It really makes a difference. Okay, on to the episode. You think that when you follow your dreams, everything will work out. Unfortunately, that's not the case for everyone. Take, for example, Dr. Kwan Stewart. I had never been a shelter vet before. I took on this work as a challenge. Dreaming of being a veterinarian since I was seven, I wanted to practice on the beach by San Diego, and all that was living out just fine. And then out of nowhere, I decided to take this job as a shelter vet. About three years into it, I was getting depressed, despondent. The work was hard, and the amount of animals Dr. Kwan couldn't help was taking its toll. It got to the point where he contemplated quitting being a vet altogether. But then something happened one day when he was walking into a 7-Eleven. There was this unhoused man sitting outside, tucked away in the corner, as you sometimes see them. I was walking out. I had probably seen this gentleman five, six times before. But on this day, I noticed he had a dog. And out of the corner of my eye, and you do this long enough, you can diagnose things from across the freeway. I noticed his dog had some awful skin condition, and it looked like it was just a really bad flea allergy. So I stepped over, introduced myself. I'm Quan Stewart. I'm a veterinarian. I see your dog has some sort of skin issue rash, and it looks like it's probably caused by fleas. And the poor guy was just exasperated. He said, I don't know what it is, but she's not sleeping. She's miserable. I'm miserable. I don't know what to do. I don't have the money to care for her. And I said, well, if you're here tomorrow, I'll stop by with something that I think might help. And I did. It was $3 out of my pocket and five minutes of my time. That tiny investment turned that dog's life around. But it was more than that. I ended up seeing the same dog 10 days later, and she was transformed. The hair was coming back. She was happy and wagging her tail. I could almost see the smile on her that wasn't present before. And the man sitting in the same spot was looking up at me. And with tears in his eyes, he just said, thank you for not ignoring me. And he looked down and he looked up at me again and repeated the same thing. And that was a kickoff moment for me. I not only did not quit the profession, in that moment I said, I'm going to get back to doing what I want to do saving animals, and I'm going to do it for passion, not for pay. And that was about 12 years ago, and I haven't stopped walking the streets since. Coming up after the break, I talked to Dr. Kwan more about what came next and how he founded Project Street Vet, which provides free veterinary care, treatment, and support to the pets of individuals experiencing homelessness. Plus, he lets us know how we can all get involved and help animals in need. Stay with us. While training my puppy, Teddy, I've been using a few kinds of treats. By far, his favorites are blue sizzlers. These bacon-style treats are made with real USA pork as the first ingredient, and wow, does Teddy love them. And I do too, because they're easy to tear into small pieces for training. If you're looking to up your treat game, get blue sizzlers wherever you buy pet treats. And don't forget to download the Buddies app to earn points on your purchases. Welcome to Life with Pets. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That is an incredible story. And thank you for sharing that story with us. Very, very touching, moving story. And I want to know what happened next. So what was the next step? I wasn't sure what the next step was. People asked me, so what was the vision when you started treating pets yeah. and how? There was no vision. I think I was in survival <laughs> mode. That spontaneous, unexpected moment, you know, if I look back and you believe it all in destiny or 
you have a calling of some kind. That must have been that moment because just prior, just minutes prior to that, I felt lost. Yeah. I felt uh, confused and defeated. I was questioning my choice of career, which, which, you know, again, if you know what it takes to become a veterinarian and it, it's a life journey. I mean, I was, I wanted to be a veterinarian since I was seven to question all that. Uh, I know there was no plan. I helped that guy and his dog honestly it probably helped me more than it did them. And I, I just said, I'm going to, I'm going to do more of this. It was shortly after that, that I hosted a clinic, a pop-up clinic. Again, didn't know what I was doing. I just set up a table and a tarp. It was next to a, 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 like a food bank, a food kitchen. And anybody standing in line, I just sort of walked down the line. Anybody having a, holding a pet or with a pet next to them, I just said, I have a little clinic over here. And if you want to step over after you eat, I'll take a look at your pet at no cost. Mm-hmm. And before I knew it, I had a little line of, of customers. It was basic stuff. It, it's preventative care. It's vaccines. It's flea treatments. It's nail trimming. But it's also, you know, an examination and something a lot of these pets haven't had before. Right. And what I've learned is when it comes to parenting a pet, owning a pet, having a pet in your life, and you see it as a companion, as a family member, as a friend, yes, you want to know what's wrong with them. But what I've noticed with these folks on the streets, they also love hearing what they're doing right. Yeah. They love feeling validated because I'm sure so often they hear, why do you have a pet when you can barely Mm -hmm. care for yourself? And why did you take on this responsibility and poor pets? I don't see it that way. We get to that in a second. But in that moment, as I'm doing the exam, I like to tell them, you know, the weight is great. The nice, okay. healthy weight and ears look good. And I can tell he's getting lots of exercise. And they just they just light up because they, you know, I know this pet in so many cases means the world to him. It's a lifeline. Mm-hmm. And then to have it have them here from a professional, you're doing a lot of things right by this by this creature. Good job. That is very warming to them. I did the clinic, great. But what I heard from the line of people more than once was, hey, I didn't know this was happening. I have a friend who lives under a bridge uh, or someone, you know, this part of town who doesn't have access. Would you mind going to them? And I just thought, yeah, why why can't I? So I started packing a bag and I started walking. And so did you wind up quitting the shelter vet job to do this at some point? Like, what was that? Like, how much time were you dedicating to helping pets of the unhoused versus the the job that was slowly, you know, making you depressed and all that? I was at the time roughly three years in to my post at the mm-hmm. county shelter. I had thought about leaving more than once. I mean, there, were, there came a time where it was almost every day I was questioning myself. But there was something about that moment and another really quick story I can tell in 30 seconds, which also lit another fire is when I saved this little kitten that was on the verge of being euthanized. And Mm -hmm. on this day, I came across this cage, this little tiny kitten. She could fit in the palm of my hand and her eyes crusted shut. She was starved. I immediately gave the order to euthanize her. And then I had a second thought for whatever reason. I know taking her home and nursing her, something I told myself I just wasn't going to do. You have to have some kind of separation before between this <laughs> right. life and the shelter. And I brought her home and, and nursed her back to health. And on the day I was supposed to take her back, my son started crying. I said, no. And I started getting a little emotional. I said, all right, fine, we'll keep her. But really, I was <laughs> inside, I was happy we kept her. And she turned this, yeah. this kitten. This kitten reminded me that 
whether they end up as a euthanasia or not, they deserve the care, attention, and love while they are with us. And yeah. that, along with the work in the streets, turned my attitude around. And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help turn the shelter. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the trajectory of the shelter. Within the, my last two years there, I was five, five years total. We built a brand new state-of-the-art shelter. We cut our euthanasia rate in half, and we almost doubled our adoption rate. Wow. So those last two years were critical and enlightening in a lot of ways and probably the best years of my career, it, though they were tough. They taught me a lot and, you know, resilience and grace and so forth. That's amazing that you were able to make that turnaround at the at the shelter and to bring more animals into the lives and homes of people who, like you said, they become family, they become a lifeline for people. And and that kind of shifts us to where I wanted to go, which is you hear a lot of judgment about people experiencing homelessness and whether they have pets or not and and should they have pets or not, all that kind of stuff. And I want to talk about how how you see that situation. Obviously, people experiencing homelessness have issues. They have their problems. They're, there's reasons that they're experiencing homelessness. But I think a pet, like you said, provides them something to live for, provides them that lifeline. So I'd like to get your your opinion, your your take on what you say to people who judge that situation. I, you know, I think of myself prior to doing the work mm -hmm. and the prejudgments, the assumptions that I would make. And I find myself now just talking to that person and what I would say, because there was a time Regrettably, where yes, I would see, for example, an able-bodied man on a street corner, panhandling, shaking a can. And my first thought was, just go get a job, man. What's stopping you from working and, and pulling yourself out of your situation? Or I, I, I had this thought before also, I'd see someone with a pet and say the same thing. Why, you know, and, and this is back in my sort of idealistic, you need to, have, you need to be in the perfect situation to own a pet. Mm -hmm. I've completely walked that back. And, and it's these people that have taught me that because what I have seen on the streets is these people give so much love, commitment, devotion, and time to their pets more than we give, I believe, more than I'll just speak for myself, more than I give on a daily basis because I run off to sure. work eight, 10 hours a day. And I'm sorry if you can hear my dogs in the background. Those are them. <laughs> we, always, we always enjoy a, a pet interruption on this show. <laughs> always welcome back. here. I can see that they're <laughs> something up a whole lot to fill later. But uh, <laughs> I go to work and, you know, my dogs, they pine for me. They, yeah. they sit here, they, they're listening for the garage door to open or the click of the front door or the keys. And they get excited and, and they, you know, they live for us. They really do. Anyone who's owned a pet knows that. They don't care about how much square footage you have in your home, how nice your furniture is, what you drive. And I think sometimes people have means, great means. They hold themselves above others, even, even when it comes to owning a pet, because they seem to have a lot. But again, that, that's not what the pet cares about. They want you. They want you. And these people are with their pet companion mm -hmm. every hour of every day. And how many of us can say that, right? How many of us right. can say we would give up one of our meals to feed our pets? How many of us can say we would turn down temporary housing, right? A comfortable, warm bed to sleep in if they're refusing 
to take our pets with us. Right. I, I start. I think you start to dwindle that number down quite a bit. And so there, there is your answer. And it took me a journey, yes, to, to understand that and to know that if anyone really deserves or needs a pet in a moment, it's these people. Because when do our pets help us the most? It's, it's sometimes in those moments of crisis, right, where we're depressed, we're battling disease, we've lost a loved one. And your pet, your pet's head on your lap or sitting next to you can do wonders for you. And these people are, they're in, they're in their own state of crisis. And these pets keep them grounded. They keep them hopeful, pushing forward. And again, that is, you just can't say that about everybody's relationship with their pet. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, I've, I've shared this story before. I, my dog, I got him at, at the lowest point in my life. And he's helped, he helped me, you know, he wasn't the reason that I was able to overcome and get healthy and, and all that stuff. But he he gave me a reason every day to get up and to do something and to help myself. So, of course, 100 percent, like if you have a pet, you have another reason to do, to live, to keep going. Well, in some cases, they don't have any reasons except their pet. Right. right. It, it's not a, it's not another reason. It's the, sometimes that pet is the only reason. I, I had a lady tell me the coolest thing not that long ago. And I ended up posting on Instagram, but she'd been homeless now about two years. And she had this cute little white pit bull, beautiful pit bull, so friendly. And I said, what is, at first, I, one thing I do, I'll tell you guys, this is, is a joke. When I'm, I, I get playful with these people, we get to know each other and, you know, this trusting door sort of opens. And one thing I sometimes say just to see what reaction I'll get is I'll ask them, what, what do I need to do to take them off your hands? Like, let me, let me go and just take them <laughs> off your hands for you. And I just want, yeah. I like to see their reaction because, you know, those are fighting words for a lot of them. Right. But then I asked her, what, what does she mean to you? And she says, she's my daily inspiration, my daily inspiration to get up off this corner and get her a yard. She says, I'm going to improve my situation because she deserves a yard and I'm going to get my act together and I'm going to keep pushing and keep trying until I get that yard. And I loved hearing that. That's amazing. Now, when you're working with these people, with these animals, what are some of the things that you're seeing? What are some of the, the common ailments, treatments that these animals need? How are you providing services um, in a way that is repeatable on a daily basis? Because, you know, you can't be bringing all of these animals like into surgery every day, like some if they have, you know, cancers or things like that. But what are some of the things that you're helping treat? Well, I'll tell you guys this. I, so I, I basically just carry a bag. Uh, for years, it was just, it was like a Coleman bag that you unzipped because it kept the vaccines cool and I could pack it. It was, it was just something that I could throw over my shoulder. I now carry a, a backpack that's a little bit bigger. But in that bag, I can treat, remarkably, I can treat 80%, approximately 80% of the things I see on the streets. It's a bag that's just filled with a foundation of common things that can address a number of ailments. So it's, Again, it's preventative care, so it's vaccines, it's flea and tick, it's heartworm. And then allergies are very common in California, especially Southern mm -hmm. California. Ear infections are common, so things to address allergies, infection, ear cleaning, antibiotics, anti-inflammatories for dogs who are in pain or maybe developing some arthritis, something to trim nails, some bandaging material. That is the gist of the kit. And again, with that small bag, with my stethoscope and otoscope, I can, I can give a full examination and then treat most things. Those other 15 to 20% that may need more, as you say, may need mm -hmm. to go into a hospital, then I arrange that. So I will refer yeah. them 
to a nearby hospital, should they need a dental cleaning with extractions, an anesthetic procedure, should they need a tumor removed? I've seen dogs, have, I just happened upon them, they were recently hit by a car, they needed to get in for life-saving treatment, we get them in for that as well. So most of it I can handle just myself on a street corner, down an alley, next to a street lamp, whatever, that becomes my, my office suddenly. But for everything else, the now that the charity is well-funded, and I, we're so fortunate to be able to say that, I don't have to turn anybody down. I can get them in. Yeah. One question I'll, I'll just go or question I'll answer for it, which I usually get asked is, how do you, yeah, how do you pay for it? And I'll tell you, for those first six or seven years that preceded that moment outside 7-Eleven, I just did it out of my own pocket. I just set aside a portion of my salary that I was comfortable without, and I committed it to, to doing this work. The problem is, is I did more and more of it, or as I got more and more referrals, or I'd go, I'd start to now know these same pets and see them year after year, and they were getting uh, up there in years and required other things. It just got expensive. And I found myself having to say no or turn people down or begging my colleagues, can you do this pro bono? And it was tough. So, and during the six years, Hillary, I didn't, I didn't tell anybody about the work. It was, it I was wanted to ask you about that because I had heard you had kept it a secret. Yeah, it was a secret. And I don't know why I kept it a secret. It, uh, as I said, I think that first moment was more important for me than it was that animal. It, selfishly, I think it, it, I just had this healing moment. And I wanted to just keep doing the work, but I didn't want to get judged myself, I guess. I didn't want right. to get questions. I didn't want to be at a dinner party and have someone ask. Well, you know, why do you do that? Why, why are you giving your time and money to these people when they shouldn't have a pet? I didn't want to hear anything negative. I just want to go out and do it. It was my own little secret crusade. I didn't tell my own family. And wow. I, uh, I just put my head down and, and did the work, and it, it, it saved me. It came a point where I, I needed to get the word out because if I wanted to keep doing it and keep helping as many people as I could, I, I didn't need resources. So we, we took the, the mission official and created the the charity projects revet a few years ago. And now the Americans are generous, especially when it comes to pets. We are so well-funded and I never have to turn a pet away. And what was the reaction when you did start telling people, when you told your family, when you told your friends, when, when you made it public? Well, I have one younger brother where we're close. In fact, he helps me run the charity mm. together. It's like his full-time job. And he's like, why, why would you keep that from me? He's like, you know, like right. I thought we were tight. Why would you, why would you not tell me about that? And I, I sort of gave him the same answer I just gave you. I, I didn't really have the best answer. But uh, yeah, and the same with friends and others and family. And it didn't really come as a, much of a surprise to our, our mother and father because we were taught to give back. I mean, that's the way we were raised is that we have an obligation to society, to our fellow man, to give back beyond our job, right? To, to mm -hmm. find a way to use our talents or skills to, to give back humanity. And it took me a while, but I found it. And once we got on social media, then, you know, there was just this really warm, wonderful reaction and, and donations started pouring in. That's amazing. And now I think you do you do free clinics. Uh, you help pet parents of all kinds. So what goes into these clinics and who's showing up? What are they learning? How are you helping everybody who who's coming to these clinics? What we'll do now is sort of advertise through a city agency. Mm -hmm. or a food bank that will be here at this time. And the idea is to, to get as many people as we can so we can, we can see as many pets and help as many pets as we can in that two or three hour window. And yeah, the, the response is great. The, I mean, the, the people are just so grateful, as you can imagine. 
And the whole team walks away with that same feeling, that same feeling I had that afternoon, that morning outside of 7-Eleven. It's, it's, it's almost indescribable, but you love it and it keeps you coming back. There's this huge probably dopamine release when you do it. And yeah, I just, I love it. The thing is, I still enjoy walking though. I still enjoy just getting out. There's something about the one-on-one experience and surprising someone. I've had moments where I turn a corner into an alley around a dumpster and there's someone living there in their tent with a dog and I'll, right there, it's like a surprise moment. And they're, they're almost wondering, what are you doing here? Who are you? But as soon as I <laughs> announce myself and get, you know, granted permission to examine their pet, I just, I put the stethoscope in, I get down and I get to work. And as I said, almost immediately this, this door opens and we start talking like, like two friends. And I just love that reaction. The reaction I get, I see from people as if I just drop from the sky especially in moments where they're <laughs> desperate for help, right? When their pet is suffering from yeah. something and then out of the blue, this guy just shows up with a stethoscope in a bag and he's, he's treating my pet. I mean, there, there's just something about that. Have you heard about the true blue effect? It's pretty cool. And I've seen my dog Teddy thrive because of it. What I'm talking about are the seven benefits your dog could experience from the key ingredients in blue life protection formula. We're talking about healthy muscle development, immune system health, skin and coat health, healthy digestion, joint health, strong bones. And the one I see most of all in Teddy is vibrant energy for an active life. All of this is thanks to the quality ingredients in Blue Life Protection Formula. Try it now. You have to build trust with the people, but you must have to build trust with these pets too. What is that like? Because I feel like a lot of these animals might not immediately be chill with like, oh, who's this random man who's trying to touch me and look in my ears and orifices and things? (laughs) That happens. That, that does, but he, here's here's a funny statistic, or at least an anecdotal statistic. I have never been bit in the streets. I've seen now, wow. I've cataloged hundreds, probably close to thousands of pets I've seen in the street. I've never been bit. That's not the case in clinic. And I think the reason is, <laughs> I right, so you ask, like, well, you know, you just happen upon someone's doorstep and their pet's there and you, you just, they're just going to let you examine yeah. them. And the answer in most cases is yes, because these animals are so well socialized. I mean, think about it. They're outside in the element. There are cars honking and people walking by and traffic noise. And, you know, there's always some kind of commotion and they're just very comfortable in this environment. So, yes, I'm a stranger, yeah. but it, I feel like as soon as their their pet parent acknowledges me and, and says it's okay, it's 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 fine. It's on. That's not the same in clinic. You want to talk about when I get right. worried or reticent? It's when I'm about to look in the ears <laughs> of like a German Shepherd who doesn't like his ears touch, and just because I'm in a clinic mm-hmm. and just because he's owned by a traditional owner, people think, "Oh, it's, no, no." I would much I would much much rather be in the streets, walking up on that strange pit bull that's never seen me before because I've never had a bad interaction. That's amazing. And it makes a lot of sense because you're right. They're around all different kinds of people all day long in all different kinds of places that they have to adapt to. So that makes sense that they would be much more willing than a traditional pet, I guess, mm-hmm. <laughs> who is used to his or her own environment and don't come near my environment or my people kind of thing. Or hate, just hate the veterinary hospital in general. They just they already know bad stuff's going to happen. Yes. So. They're, this they're is not a great place. They see the white coat. Here we go. Like, here we go. <laughs> now, <laughs> what is, what's next for Project Street Vet? How are you 
continuing to grow? What new projects are you looking for? What are you What are you hoping for in the future? We just not it's been about a year now, but we we partnered with Fetch by the Dodo. It's a pet insurance company. Yep, and they have provided a lot of visibility to the mission and a lot of resources. And I'm at the point now where I get to sort of dream. And going back to those years where I didn't tell a soul and it was just, I was a one-man band. We're now at the point where I have street vet teams, as we call them. I have street vet teams popping up in other cities around the country. I'm on the other coast now. So I have uh, a team in Orlando, one in Atlanta, D.C., uh, San Francisco, San Diego, LA, and the mission is growing. And I just, I never, I really never imagined we would be at this point. So, so now if I can really put something up on the vision board, it is, it is ultimately to, to have teams, veterinary professionals providing care to these unhoused pets in every major urban center in the country. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible how much you've grown and, and to see the different communities that are now being helped and the potential to keep keep expanding is is really exciting to watch and to to see where you'll go next and i want to know how how can other people help how can we be allies how can we help either you in your mission or just in general in our own communities if we see people experiencing homelessness and they have pets like what are some of the things that we all can do you know people want to support our mission we love it. I, I mean, I almost get stuck for words because I, I will take words of support. We'll take donations, the well wishes, you know, the comments and likes on Instagram. All that fuels the mission. It does. It's, I mean, kindness isn't always wrapped up in dollars. It, it, it comes in many forms. And that's really what, what this mission is about. I mean, sometimes I don't even actually deliver treatment or care to a pet, but I'll just sit there and let this unhoused person be heard and let them be seen. Mm-hmm. And so people can go to our website, uh, projectsrevet.org, and there's various ways to support the mission. Instagram, we love to tell the stories. So we have what I think are compelling, riveting stories. My brother curates all the content. That's where he comes in. He's an editor. That's his trade. And so he, <laughs> he gives the street vet mission life and the personality. So various ways. But when it comes to, again, helping these folks and their pets be seen, whether it's through us or, or someone else, I would just say, you know, remember that that's a human being. And I think we sometimes get in our own way sometimes with the judgments. I can speak for myself again, going back 12 years ago, that keeps us from doing something kind to somebody. And I feel like more than ever that I can remember in my entire life, there is just a lot of intolerance for one another for, for various things. It's, um, our sexual orientation or our ethnic background or even our political affiliation. And, and these put up walls that make us see someone through a different lens. And I just, you have to break those down if you want to just see a human who needs help because a gesture of kindness can change someone's day, but an act of kindness can also change somebody's life. And that's what I'm finding in the work that we do in the streets. So just giving these people a moment sometimes offering to bring back dog food. Another idea I had was for those of you that do own pets, talk to your own veterinarian and ask them, would you mind sponsoring somebody from the unhoused community once or twice a month? And that you, person speaking, the Mm -hmm. client would be willing to put up some money towards that, right? I think if more veterinarians opened up their clinics to people, these people who again, need these pets, need these pets to 
to keep pushing forward in most cases. Offer some sort of free treatment every once in a while that didn't uh, zap their business bottom line. I think it could go a long way. Yeah, that's amazing. That's definitely useful, helpful, practical information that people can put to use right now. And I think after hearing you and hearing and seeing the work that you're doing, it's a no-brainer that this is important and it helps people. So I encourage everybody to check out your website, to check out your Instagram. All right, before we wrap up, there's one other thing to do. We have one more question for you. Might be the hardest one yet. We'll see. A lot of people struggle with this one. If you could be any animal in the world, what animal would you be? And what would be your favorite activity? Huh. Well, I've never considered my favorite activity as my favorite animal. That that has a different dimension to it. I, uh, <laughs> my favorite animal... I'm just kidding. I always like to take yeah, it one yeah, step farther. Yeah, of course you have That's to. That's it. <laughs> I, well, my, my favorite animal is, uh, is the cheetah. And so okay. that would be... That's what I would select. And there's something very beautiful and majestic about them. I love the fact they're the fastest land animal. I was a track athlete most of my life and through college. So there, there's just something very cool about that. So I guess my favorite activity would just be like running 65 miles per hour, right? That's how cool would that be? That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, I love that answer. Um, and I loved this conversation. So thank you for joining us on Life with Pets. And yeah, everybody go check out the organization and learn more. Thank you. You've been listening to Life with Pets, the show that combines real pet stories with proven guidance from pet professionals. I'm your host, Hillary Georgie, and I hope this show has been a great resource for you as a pet parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to download the Buddies app. This episode was produced by the team at mission.org. Mission.org.